This is Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. And it's new people, new policies, with powerful yet compassionate prose for today's premier generations of military women in America. Many of today's women veterans are post-military educators. They wear many different hats as they work to balance life as parents, teachers, and advocates for comprehensive education for military children and military families. In today's episode, we learn what it's really like being a military mom, teacher, and an advocate for unabridged education all rolled into one. Now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Peele. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the award-winning podcast. And I'm your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Today's special guest is Dr. Vanessa Wood. She's a U.S. Navy veteran and a former military journalist. She's also an educator teaching in the K-12 space and a college professor teaching in higher education as well. It is often said that teachers have three loves, the love of learning, the love of learners, and the love of bringing the first two loves together. Educators view education as a living and breathing passport to the future because we know that tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. And at its core, the art of teaching is an art for assisting others in a manifestation of discovery. Now, there's approximately 3.7 million teachers in America, and 77% of them are women. And a growing number of that 77% are women veterans who are balancing their own work as teachers while caring for and teaching their own children at home as well. We all know that teachers are truly the backbone of our society. They are role models for our children, and they offer guidance to our young people. It is because of teachers that we are able to develop citizens who work to cultivate our country socially and economically. I am looking forward to this conversation with Dr. Vanessa Wood, where we will be getting an insider's viewpoint of how today's women veterans are teaching and strengthening education in military families. We will also discuss how Women Veterans Rock advocacy for comprehensive education continues to expand. Because research shows us that education directly impacts women's roles in society. And the results are that education perpetuates engagement and empowerment. So join me as we welcome today's special guest, Dr. Vanessa Wood, after this short break. This episode is sponsored in part by our longtime community partner, Chestnut Hill College. Chestnut Hill College is a certified yellow ribbon institution and a military-friendly college. It has a distinguished history of supporting America's student veterans, military families, and the community at large. We are proud to have this fine academic institution as one of our supporting community partners. I am Dr. Vanessa K. Wood, professor, veteran, educator, and editor. And I am excited to be part of the podcast posse here at Women Veterans Rock. On the Hill, the podcast. Would you like to be recognized as a podcast conversation starter? Send your suggestions and ideas for upcoming shows to us at info at womenvetsrock.org. 
because we're always elated to hear from our audience and the podcast community. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Vanessa Wood. Let's begin by getting started with having our listeners getting to know you as one of the new members of the Women Veterans Rock on the Hill team. So I enlisted in the United States Navy um, after my first year of on-campus college, and it was kind of funny because I worked with a couple of different recruiters, and the one recruiter was directing his feet, and the other asked me how quickly I wanted to go. Um, So within a week, I was in basic training, and um, they asked me if I would be interested in being a journalist. And I've always enjoyed writing, whether it's been creative writing, poetry, research, or what have you. So that seemed like a really good fit for me. And then I served as a Navy journalist for six years. I worked with the flagship newspaper out of Hampton Roads at the time that was the primary newspaper for Navy families and service members in the area. And then after that, I worked with Navy Marine Corps News at their mobile detachment in Norfolk. Well, that's really exciting. When you worked as a journalist uh, for the Navy, did you write about specific sort of topics or matters of interest to military uh, personnel? Well, I did a lot of what I was told to do. Um, I enjoyed writing about the people and getting to know the people. That was really exciting for me because that's one of the things that makes me tick. Um, But I also had the opportunity to address different policies, different advances in technologies, different command messages, whether it was from the chief of naval operations or someone else in a military command. And I also got to work with and cover ceremonies, commissionings, decommissionings of ships and things like that. Well, you are the first person that we've had on our program that actually worked as a journalist in military service. So what would you say would have been some of the highlights of the time that you served and served as a journalist for the U.S. Navy? Um, I got to do some really neat things. I Mm -hmm. got to go on the Theodore Roosevelt when they were shooting uh, Tears of the Sun with Bruce Willis, and I got to interview some of the actors for that. Um, getting to watch the flight off at night and in the morning, that was really cool. And e- even like some of the smaller things, like being able to watch the dolphins swim in the wake of the aircraft carrier was awesome. Um, when they were pushing the different landing craft air cushions, the LCACs, I actually got to fly one of those. Um, that's what they call it when you drive it. So that was pretty cool. And then... Um, I got to go and help capture the video footage of the last bombing runs at Vieques in Puerto Rico before they closed down um, the Navy base there. Well, like I said, it's a real treat to be able to have you transition from the work that you've done as a journalist for the Navy to join our team as one of the senior contributors for our new blog page. I heard you talk a bit about your interest and your advocacy work in and around education um, because Dr. Vanessa Wood, our our listeners don't know, but you do have your doctorate degree in education and you are currently working in an area of education. So let's talk a little bit about the degree that you have, 
Why did you get a degree in education? And I'd like to just touch a bit on what you are doing now as an educator. Okay. Um, so I actually used the Navy and my time in the Navy to help me earn all three of my degrees, my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate. Um, mm. Before going into education, I had my bachelor's and my master's degree, and a family at the karate school where I was working, because they saw the issues I was running into with gainful, fulfilling employment, they're like, you know what, this one's doing something interesting, and we're going to support her. So they actually paid for me to go through the career switcher program at Old Dominion University, and from there, I was able to go in education. And three years into my career, so I started teaching in 2009. And in 2012, I looked, I was looking through my veterans benefits. I was like, oh, I still have a good amount of my GI Bill left. Mm -hmm. So I did a little bit more research and found out I was also eligible for a portion of the post-911 GI Bill. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. I started looking at programs, and I'm like, you know what? This teaching thing, it's a good fit for me, so I'm not going to get another master's. I'm just going to go for it and get a doctorate degree. There was an educational leadership program with the University of Phoenix, and the program seemed like a really, really good fit for me. And mm-hmm. so like, okay, maybe with this degree I can go in and actually make a difference outside of the dynamics of teaching. And it's not that teaching doesn't make a difference because it makes a profound difference, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to have the educational background to provide more tools to those around me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's fantastic about the work that you've done in building um, some strength in your um, professional background about working in and around the area of education. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now as a teacher. You said that you're a veteran educator. I know that you work in a teaching environment and how education is not only important to you, but is an important part of what you do around advocacy for military families. Talk to me about what you're doing in teaching right now. Right now, teaching is in a strange paradigm. For a long time, teaching has used an industrial age model, and for a long time, it seemed to have worked. Um, But with the onslaught of COVID and these new methods of learning, um, teachers and families and students, pretty much anyone who is an educational stakeholder is having to learn this new way of learning, this new way of teaching, and it is not at a forgiving pace. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of times where the school district where I teach right now, we're fully remote, and it's a rural school district. So that does not always work well because of Internet accessibility. So Mm -hmm. trying to work with students, and I have sixth graders, to get them to navigate through the technology, whether it's learning to use Canvas, learning to use an online textbook, learning to use video feeds. It is a strange new world. I feel like a lot of it's tech support, but at the same time, 
I know I'm doing well by at least a handful of my students because if they see me on my Google Meet, they'll come and just hang out with me because they want that interaction with adults. Well, it sounds like you were faced with some challenges but also some triumphs in this brave new world of education. And um, what would you say are some of the, the highlights of the work that you're doing with this uh, new distance learning environment? And also I'd like for you to tell us what you see might be some of the um, not-so-glowing pieces of the challenges that you're being faced with. Um, one of the benefits for me is being able to actually work at home and see, even if from a peripheral vision, I'm able to see what my daughter's learning in her class. She's in kindergarten. Um, I'm not fully engaged in what she's learning because I have to pay attention to my students too, but just even having those types of conversations or being able to have those types of conversations with her later on is really fascinating. Um, the majority of the interaction that I have personally had with parents has had a lot of questions, which is more than fair, but at the same time, it's been really nice to see the parents standing up and advocating for their children and saying, hey, we need help with this. What can we do? Because for the first portion of my teaching career, it seemed like so much of the parent-teacher relationship was almost an adversarial relationship and actually having to work with and collaborate with the parents. It's been an interesting experience and thankfully for the most part, it's been quite pleasant. Mm -hmm. So how do you calibrate this home-based education environment as an educator and also as a mom? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. Um, thankfully, with the way my daughter's schedule is set up compared to my schedule, most of what is her time that she needs to be available for a live feed actually occurs when I have scheduled small group and planning. So if she has issues, we can help her, which is great. Um, but part of the challenge is, too, with her being so young, she's like, Mommy, 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 and I'm the only one in the house outside of her. So sometimes I'm trying to teach class, and she's trying to bombard me with questions, and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. go, go do whatever. But she, despite everything, she's been quite gracious with it, and uh, as long as she gets attention during my breaks and some of my planning, it seems actually work out pretty well. Wow. Well, that's a pretty tall order, not just for you, but for so many families across the country. And I know that we are talking about your work in elementary education, but there's another whole series of challenges for secondary education as well as higher education. And so I am just very um, excited and I feel very fortunate that you are bringing that kind of expertise to the table here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill because we have a lot of policy-related uh, matters, issues, and concerns that you and I and our team will be working to address. So uh, thank you for letting us get a chance to know you and get a chance to know a bit about you in terms of your military experience, your educational background, and the work that you're doing as an educator. I'd like to find out 
How did you become connected to us here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill? Um, I was COVID scrolling on Facebook, and I saw that there was a women veterans group, and I was like, hey, that's me. So I went, went in to check it out, and then I um, submitted a group request, and an admin approved it, and then I just started following what was going on on the page because as a woman veteran, as a woman veteran who still has connections with active duty families and even veteran families, there is a lot of stuff that almost always seems to be changing or going on. And it's like, it would be good to be informed about these things because even if they do not affect me directly, they may affect those around me. And even at the school where I teach, we have quite a few families whose parents work at either Dahlgren or Quantico. I didn't know that. Well, I think that it's going to become more and more apparent to our listeners and to the community of Women Veterans Rock why you are coming on board as such a valued um, asset for the work that we do in support of women veterans and military families. And from my side, I remember seeing your post, and it just jumped right out at me because it was during the time on our Women Veterans Rock Weekends page was doing a series about going back to school. And we were very concerned about the challenges that families were facing. And what we did is we set up a series so that we can provide information to parents, to teachers, administrators, and to talk a little bit about some of the nuances that we felt that children either were facing or would be facing. And you wrote a very thoughtful piece about um, your thoughts and, and some of the challenges that you were facing or, other, or saw others facing in and around education. Do you remember generally what you said in that post? I really did try to capture a holistic view because when you're dealing with education, especially with other people's babies, whether they were kindergarten through 12th grade or even the pre-K population, um, that's not an area to tread lightly on mm-hmm. because those people are most likely someone else's most important person in the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, you know, you walk this line because you don't want to offend, but at the same time you don't want to be a doormat and just trying to capture all of that and looking at, yes, it is probably a much better option to have certain student populations in school. However, is it really the best idea to potentially risk the lives of the children and the adults in the building? Um, outside of even just COVID, as an educator, I've lost students, and that is a heartbreaking experience. Oh so looking at that and the possibilities, and yes, with children, the numbers are lower, but what if that child is sitting in my room? And just like those types of elements, it really mentally and emotionally, it's, an, it's exhausting to process because there is not a one-size-fits-all. 
you can't rely on this industrial age model of education where it's designed to fit all. Um, mm -hmm. Because you have some families that um, you have one parent working and that parent's working multiple jobs and they rely on schools for the daycare for their children because daycare is expensive. Um, you have people who don't have access to the technology, whether they're teachers or school districts or students, whether they're in a rural area or a poor area, and you're just looking at all of these pieces and looking at all these pieces from across the country. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a lot. And it's at the same time, I think it's brought about a very healthy dialogue and recognition where even though some people don't handle it so gracefully, and I've been in that boat a few times myself, you really have to look at what is best for the families and how within the context of the community can we make a model that's going to benefit most with the least amount of harm. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a great opportunity for us to begin to bring some shape and some closure to the end of year 2020 to get us prepared for year 2021. That brings us to the point of talking about our work together on Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the blog. And at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, our delegation has been working diligently over the past five-plus years in being able to have impact and influence on Capitol Hill. And when we look at the influence and when we look at the work that we've been doing, we've been able to examine and discuss a broad spectrum of policies that affect military women and military families. And among them are policies around education. Among them are policies around health and wellness and various other areas. That gives us a broad spectrum of issues and matters for us to research, for us to be a voice of, for us to be advocates for, along with some of the other areas that will be a part of our blog page, such as military women in leadership, such as our civic action desk, our cadets and careers, working with new recruits, and also we'll have a space that we will reserve for our guest contributors. In getting prepared for year 2021, we want to work on closing out this year and looking at some of the issues that matter to women, veterans, and military families. And you and I have spent some time talking about some of these issues. And so perhaps we can share with our audience some of the topical areas that we will be working together to be able to give voice to in the public square. One of the things that we talked about is creating a space in which we can help military women give voice to issues that matter to military women, of course, women veterans, military moms, and military families. And when we talked about this before, you had mentioned not just education in a traditional sense. One of the things that's not getting enough attention is around vocational training. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about why you think that we should be examining and giving voice on our blog page to some of the missed opportunities 
around vocational training in the military community? I think vocational training is a need when, when we are looking at education, especially when we look at the military. Uh, you have, to me now, they seem like they're kids because they're like half my age, but when you have someone who's 18, 19 years old and working to maintain an aircraft that costs millions of dollars, or if they're working to control the wires that catch the aircraft so they don't shoot past an aircraft carrier, um, or even working on some of the other components of the ships or the aircraft or the tanks and, and all of these things, I think a lot of those people learn a lot of valuable skills that when you're looking at traditional undergraduate programs, those skills don't fit. I mean, even if we're looking at someone with a background as a mechanic, whether male or female, if they had that training in the military, they were responsible for incredibly expensive equipment, and they have a skill set that we still need. We still need people to fix different types of automobiles and planes and all of these types of things. So why not have pliable platforms where they can go and continue to earn a livable wage with a skill set that they have and perhaps even enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think that vocational training is something that we will enjoy researching and uh, discussing and having people see some of the missed opportunities when we look at that area. So we see that uh, one of the areas that would be important for us to share through our, our blog page might be issues and opportunities around vocational training as an extension to our discussion around education. And so we're looking at elementary, secondary education, higher education, and also vocational training. So we're going to put that on our list. Check. So we have laid out a lot of important dots along this pathway. We have a Navy veteran who has experience as a journalist in the military environment. She is an educator. Uh, she's a military mom. What kinds of things did you gain in your experience as a journalist in the Navy that you are looking forward to bring to our team here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill? Um, there is one phrase that we use quite a bit, and that was Semper Gumby, the idea of always being flexible. Um, that is a key piece. Um, and, and just one of the key things we have to look at, and I've alluded to this already, is learning to address and being committed to addressing the issues holistically. Um, it, because if we're just one-sided, we've already seen, if we've been paying any attention to, attention to most of the media outlets, what happens if you're just one-sided on an issue. Um, so being the being able and committed to doing the research to work to find the best solutions is going to be something that I really enjoy doing. And I definitely like the collaboration piece because as a journalist, 
there's no way I could have done my job without an ability to at least interact with people short term. Um, but considering the nature of some of the changes that should happen on a policy level, this is not going to be a short-term journey. Um, it needs to be thought out, planned well, and executed even better. Well, Dr. Vanessa Wood, I am just doing backflips. I'm so excited and elated about your decision to come on board to be one of the new members here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. I'm glad that we had an opportunity to launch the third season of our podcast with you as our guest and be able to introduce you to the rest of our community. Welcome to the Women Veterans Rock family, and thank you for joining us as a team member at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the blog. This episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill is sponsored by the Women Veterans Rock Civic Leadership Institute, where our priority is preparing today's military women for post-military civic leadership, business leadership, and nonprofit leadership in America. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You'll be notified of upcoming episodes so you can join us in the public square for more stimulating conversations. And there's one last thing before we go. Historically, education has been a critical element in the establishment of social roles. Education has long been a key component in changing women's roles in society to what and who we are today. As the numbers of educated women continues to grow and our levels of education continues to increase, so will the expectations for our liberties, equity, and inclusion be achieved. And in the words of Miss Drew Faust, president of Harvard University, she says, we educate women because it changes the world. Now, Posse, take us home.